Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Story time. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My hiking partner and I arrived in the Kennecott area, intending to reach the campsites near the glacier. However, it started to get too dark for us. So we decided to camp at the first available site. We found a small spot right off the trail, set up camp, and hung our supplies in a tree. Down the trail, 
We started a fire and were just finishing a small meal when I walked to the trail to smoke. I had been standing on the trail for a few minutes when I noticed what I thought was a person on a bike coming down the trail. I immediately let my partner know, but when I looked back, it was still in the same spot. I started looking more closely to see a face or the bike, but then I realized it was not a person. It was a large, dark form with its legs spread apart. This is what led me to think it was a person on a bike, the arms were curled at its side like someone with hands on handlebars too big for a pair, and the legs were too far apart. I called my partner, but when I turned back to look at it again, it moved very quickly into the woods on two legs. The next day, we searched, but found no evidence of anything on the trail. I've told this story to a few people, but they all think I'm crazy. I hope this helps, I know what I saw, and I guess I'm just hoping somebody believes me. I'm a 24-year-old male, and I live in the middle of nowhere, literally. I'll be brief and straightforward about my encounter. I was returning home late one day after dropping my sister off at the airport in Lamar, Colorado. I live just under 7 miles north of the Oklahoma border on roughly 250 acres of land. I have a trap line running around my property for coyotes. The first two traps I checked were empty, so I headed south. That's when I saw this thing. At first, I thought it was a coyote, just a really big one. It was almost 5 feet tall and on all fours. It had gotten caught in my trap and was running around, kicking up dust. Then it suddenly stopped and looked right at me. I use a Duke number 3 leg hold trap, so it can catch a variety of animals. Anyway, I slammed on the brakes, and my truck stalled because it's a manual. I was fumbling for the keys to start it. It's an old farm truck with a carburetor, and it had quite an after fire. Once it heard that, it lunged at me and roared. I noticed that it had its hand, not a paw, but an actual hand, caught in my trap, the right hand, to be exact. It had probably been looking for the dead rabbit I had in the bait hole next to the trap. Then it stood up and ripped out the two earth anchors I had driven 24 inches into the ground. It had taken me a long time to put them in with a 10-pound hammer, but it pulled them straight out like it was nothing. Just 15 seconds after that, it just stood there, looking at me. It felt like an eternity, and I knew my 357 Magnum would be of no use against this thing if it came at me. I prayed to God Almighty that it wouldn't come for me and my truck. I was looking at it in shock and awe and noticed that it had orange-amber eyes. They weren't glowing but they had a tint like a cat's eyes in the dark. They may have been reflecting my headlights, I can't be too sure. Then, it took a step toward me, curled its upper lip, showing me its teeth, which were humongous, four to five inches long, easily. It growled at me and then disappeared in the blink of an eye. I was scared out of my wits. I slammed the truck into gear, spun the tires, and got out of there. As I mentioned earlier, It seemed like an eternity, but it must have lasted no more than 30 seconds at most. I later returned with an Indian friend of mine whom I grew up with and trusted. He told me some stories that had been passed down through his grandparents' tribe, mentioning something about a loop garu or the French werewolf. 
He also told me how fur trappers in the late 1700s to the 1800s were chased off the land in the Rockies by this creature. My hunting buddy and I were sitting on a ridge, watching for caribou about a thousand yards away, and a large clearing was in view. While we were glassing the clearing for caribou to come out of the brush, we observed a large, gray animal walking on hind legs between two large spruce trees on opposite sides of the clearing. We were both longtime Alaskans and avid hunters, having logged many hunts in North America. I have hunted all of North America's deer, elk, black and grizzly bears, but I had never seen an animal like what we saw that day. We watched it for over half an hour as it moved from one tree across the clearing to the other tree. Eventually, caribou moved into the area, and we lost sight of the animal when it moved off into heavy, thick brush. We had never heard of a Bigfoot in Alaska, but we did tell the bush pilot who picked us up from our hunt that we had seen something strange. He told us that we had probably seen the hairy man, a well-known creature in the region among the native people. First, let me start by saying that this is entirely true. I won't disclose the exact location of the events that took place, but it all happened in the Bald Hills in Washington State. I don't know why they're called the Bald Hills since they aren't really bald, it's filled with forests and woods. The Deschutes River runs through it, and the river was just behind my house, across a field where we generally kept our horses. Around the river was all rocky terrain, and just beyond that lay endless woods. There were very few houses around there, and it was literally in the middle of nowhere. This all happened about 9 or 10 years ago when I was in 4th grade. Now that's out of the way, let's get to my story. So, the house was occupied by 5 heads, 6 including a friend. It was me, my 3 brothers, my oldest sister, the only one who could drive, and a friend. Our dad was a truck driver, so he was gone for long periods of time, and my mother lost the battle to cancer when I was 5 years old. We invited our friend to spend the weekend after school, and he brought his PS2, and we were ready to pull all-nighters on GT of Ice City. Well, something else decided to change our plans. When it got dark, my friend and I decided to go outside and hang out. I was 10 or 11, and he was 14. While we were in our yard, we began to hear footsteps in our driveway, which was very odd. Our yard was surrounded by a chain-linked fence with two gates at different points of the yard. So, while staying in the yard, we did our best to try and see if we could spot who was here while remaining hidden. We couldn't see anything, it was much too dark. However, we did manage to make out something wandering around in the driveway, it was a fairly large driveway that led up a steep hill. My friend summoned the courage and yelled out to it, stating that it was on private property, which may have been a mistake. The footsteps stopped for a few seconds, then started moving towards us. I looked at my friend's face, and he was in shock. Whoever or whatever was walking around didn't say anything, it just started coming towards us. We bolted inside, speaking faster than our minds could think, telling everyone what was happening. My sister was sleeping at the time, and we didn't want to bother her, but my friend and I were freaking out, and my three brothers were getting concerned as well. So, 
We woke up my sister and told her to call the police. She got annoyed because she thought we were losing it and told us to leave her alone, saying she had work in the morning. Eventually, she gave in and grabbed the dogs, we had five, and went outside with a flashlight to take a look around. She put on her rubber boots and jacket and went outside, walking around to prove us wrong that nothing was out there. She walked out of the yard and around the outside of the chain-linked fence. My friend and I waited on the deck, watching her. She walked by an old wood shed where we stored wood, and then it happened. A blood-curdling scream came from inside the woods, just behind the woodshed. It sent shivers down my spine and filled me with fear. My sister immediately shined the flashlight into the woodshed. My friend and I ran inside, cowards, I know. My sister came in a little later, assuming it was just a raccoon and that she didn't see anything else. That put us all at ease, and we went to play GTA. No more than an hour later, we began to hear something outside the house. We all froze again. My sister had gone back to bed, and we didn't want to wake her up again. We paused the game, not making a move. The footsteps made their way onto the deck of the house, and they walked by the sliding glass door, luckily covered with curtains. They weren't steps like shoes or boots, it was more like padding, like feet. My oldest brother suggested that we all go into the basement and hide in his room. We did just that, and we all grabbed a weapon of some kind, whether it was a baseball bat or a kitchen knife. We all hung out in my oldest brother's room, and I eventually fell asleep. When I woke up, it was morning, and I was very afraid to look outside through the windows, fearing that something might be looking back at me. I finally gathered the courage to look, and there was nothing. Nothing was outside. My brothers, my friend, and I explored outside to see what we could find. We discovered several footprints in the mud, and our picnic table was smashed to pieces. The gates were bent and wouldn't open anymore, my dad had to fix them. We explored the back parts of the woods just behind the house, and there, what we saw was a little teepee made of sticks. We'd kick it down, and it kept getting rebuilt the next day or two. From that day on, we were very frightened to explore the woods out there. However, one day, a few years later, just before we moved, I was outside in the dark alone. The only sound was the rushing river and some wind rustling the large pine trees. I was in the backyard alone, leaning against the chain-linked fence with my flashlight, peering into the field behind the house, seeing if I could spot anything interesting, particularly the monster. Then I caught two glares, a pair of eyes from inside the woods. They were focused on me and took several steps forward, out into the clearing, and stopped. My flashlight wasn't powerful enough, so all I saw were some eye glares. It was roughly 20 to 30 feet away from me, but it was definitely close enough to startle me. For a long time, I just stood there, shining my flashlight at it as it stared back at me. I was too scared to go up and look at it closely, so over time, I turned around and headed back inside. That was the last time I saw the creature of the bald hills. A couple of friends and I were born in December when I decided we should take a walk through the woods behind my house. I didn't think much of it, as my friends and I had done it many times before. There were four of us, 
and we set out at about 11 o'clock at night. It was rather dark, but there was some light from the moon. The weather was quite cold since we did this in the winter. The area we walked on consisted of game trails, which moose typically used, as well as trails for mushers, runners, and cross-country skiers. We had walked about two miles from my house to another entrance, where most people usually enter. On the way, we talked about unexplainable events and things like Bigfoot or UFOs. When we reached the bridge where most people entered, one friend smoked a cigarette. It was then that we saw a light and decided to move on. On the way back, we heard a wild dog barking frantically and decided to pick up the pace. It eventually turned into a sprint. While we walked, we continued talking about it, and it was then that I realized something had been following us, testing us, or even harassing us. This had started much earlier, but I hadn't thought much about it. I initially thought it was my friend Warren, who is sometimes clumsy, making noises like slipping, but it turned out to be something throwing things at us. I realized this about halfway back. I asked if Warren kept slipping, and he told me he wasn't, thinking I might be playing a prank on him. We stopped for a minute to listen, and I told the others that something strange was happening. We shone a flashlight around, hearing noises like footsteps and branches moving and breaking. The leader thought I might be playing a joke, but when I assured him I wasn't, he decided to walk behind me. That's when something threw snowballs at us, nearly hitting us on several occasions. It was then that he realized this was no joke, and we picked up a light jog for most of the way. When we were almost out of the woods, we heard dogs again, maybe 20 feet away, branches breaking, and something throwing stuff at us. By the time we left, it was about 3 to 3.30 in the morning. I didn't go directly to my house because I didn't know if it was still following us. I knew it was not a prank because the snow in the woods was more than 5 feet deep, making it extremely challenging for someone to play a prank like that. This happened in February of 2004, up near the power line clearings east of Potter Marsh outside of Anchorage. Two of my friends and I were bored one night, so we decided to do a little snow machining. Even though it was generally believed to be illegal to snow machine in Anchorage, there were some good trails to ride on a little north of my house. We set off at around 11 p.m., riding for about a quarter of a mile before cutting onto the trails. There had been about 10 inches of fresh snowfall a few days prior, so there were no tracks on the trails. I was leading the way for about half an hour, and then we stopped and talked for a little bit. After our break, we took off again, continuing to cruise along some kind of game trail that led to an opening in the woods. I rode into the opening with my friends following about 50 yards behind me. As I came over a small mound, I saw strange tracks leading to a spot in the snow where it looked like something had pushed aside some snow and laid down. Initially, I thought it might be a moose or something, but I followed the tracks over the next small hill. As I came down the far side, my headlight pointed directly at the back of a Bigfoot, which was only about 10 to 12 feet in front of me. It was running in the opposite direction, and I slammed on the brakes because I was terrified. The creature continued to run away, leaping over a dead log covered in snow, and then it disappeared into a group of trees, vanishing into the darkness.
I was so surprised and scared that I quickly turned around and rode back towards my friends. I met them back by the first mound and told them, we need to get out of here, and we rode back toward my house. When I shared the experience with my friends near my house, they laughed and suggested it was probably a bear or someone in the woods. However, I was 100% certain that it was neither a bear nor anything else. The way it ran through the deep snow left me convinced it wasn't anything human. For a long time, I was made fun of, and everyone told me I was crazy, so I don't like talking about it. I'm sharing the story because I was forced to sit through it during New Year's Eve dinner and I'm so freaked out and goddamn itchy that I need to get it out of my system. I'm sure some of you are going to breeze on by this little tantrum here and go right to the meat of the story because you're thinking, hey, I've got a strong stomach. Well, go for it. Boring stuff out of the way, he was drafted, and since he was short and skinny, he was a perfect tunnel rat. Those were the guys who wriggled their way through the ridiculously narrow tunnels the Viet Cong used to transport personnel and weapons, set booby traps, and all that. And when I say narrow, I mean narrow. So, Gramps was wriggling around in a tunnel one day and a few bad things happened. First, the two other people with him got killed by a solitary VC while they were standing around the hole. Being a few feet underground and about 20 feet through meant Grandpa couldn't see who attacked them or know if anyone survived. He later learned he was the only one left alive, but he assumed the VC attacker would soon start throwing grenades into the tunnel and he'd be done for. After a few minutes with no sign of any incoming attack, Grandpa breathed a sigh of relief and started moving forward again. A little while later, though, it's starting pouring rain. The tunnel began to fill with water. Now, in an unfinished, unsupported tunnel like he was in, a rainstorm usually meant death for a tunnel rat. He'd heard horror stories from the squadmates who'd lost others underground, never to be seen again. He figured he'd be another. But he wasn't going to go out without a fight. He crawled forward. With him, he carried a small pistol and a Fulton flashlight. Originally, He'd been sent down to ambush some VC soldiers who were thought to be hidden in one of the tunnel's larger chambers. He'd crawl through, surprise them, blow their brains out, and wiggle his way back out. At least, that's how his first three tunnel trips had gone. This one, his fourth, wasn't going so well. The tunnel narrowed as he crawled. Ahead of him, he heard rushing water. He thought it might mean the main chamber was nearby. He was wrong. The sound was the muddy ground above him sloshing downward, sealing the tunnel ahead. This is where he started to panic. He knew he wasn't particularly deep in the ground, maybe two and a half feet, but if he didn't start clawing upward through the ground really, really fast, he'd be a dead man. So he clawed. His fingernails tore off and his hands got cut up really bad, but he was able to get part of his arm and face out of the mud. He was unable to move any farther. His lower back was pushed hard into the dirt and the angle had him bent into an elongated U-shape. His legs were trapped. Above him, a square foot of light shone through where he'd escape if he weren't stuck. He knew if it started to storm again, he'd drown. But the rain didn't come. Insects did. Ants were first. Luckily, 
They weren't the big red ones everyone over there was terrified of. The ones with the bite that felt like you got shot. These were tiny black ones, but there were lots of them. He assumed when the tunnel flooded, they were driven from their homes. Now they crawled over his scalp, face, and neck. They didn't bite, but they tickled and itched. Those which found their way onto his lips were licked off and swallowed. He figured he'd be going a while without food. After a while, the ants lost interest. Flies became a problem, though. To see why, you need to know the position in which he was stuck. The twisted, awkward angle of his body left one arm stretched out in front of him, but his shoulder and upper back were immobile. So, he had a bit of movement in his upper arm, wrist, and hand, but anything below his elbow might as well have been paralyzed. Why is this relevant? Because his armpit was exposed. Not by much, maybe an inch of clearance, but that was more than enough for the flies. And they were very, very attracted to the warm, moist pit. Over the course of an hour, 20 to 30 fat, brownish-black flies dove into his right armpit. They stayed for a little while, usually no more than six or seven at a time, before they flew away. Of course, while inside, they bit. The pain was sharp and awful, he said. It reminded him of that deep, pinching itch of the horse flies on the beach near where he grew up. And he couldn't stop them from doing anything. He just ground his teeth. As the sun went down, the flies started to lose interest and flew away. He knew a few stayed nestled inside because he felt them moving against the thick hair of his armpit, but the majority had gone. Now just mosquitoes remained to torment him with their endless bites and bottomless gullets. Somehow, he slept. From the moment the sun came up, new insects visited him. Of all the massive, tropical bugs he'd seen in Vietnam, he was grateful to have so far avoided the giant centipedes he'd heard about. Massive, angry things as long as a man's forearm and as thick as a bottle of beer. One of his more sadistic squadmates hid one in the bunk of another poor bastard. It bit his feet and toes ten times before he could even jerk himself out of the bed. Grandpa hated even the tiny ones that he sometimes found in his basement back home, so the thought of those big ones made his blood run cold. God help you. Five minutes after he opened his eyes to the morning light, one of them crawled onto his hand and wrapped itself around his wrist. He was too horrified to move. The little movement he had in his hand and wrist might have been enough to fling it away, but he didn't want to take a chance. So, he waited. Apparently the thing liked Grandpa, because it remained on him for well over an hour before Grandpa couldn't take the stress anymore. He tried to grab the bug in his fist. The moment he started moving, the thing began to bite. Grandpa was able to get a good grip on it and squeezed as hard as he could. The centipede broke in half in his hand and sent disgusting juices down his arm. The two pieces of its body dropped into the hole. The front part still had some life in it, and as it died, it bit Grandpa on the nose and lips until he was forced to take its head in his teeth and kill it. He described the taste to us, but I'm just not going to write it out. Yeah, it was that awful. The rest of that day was spent suffering as flies swarmed around the carcass of the centipede. They couldn't get enough of it. For long hours he watched them eat and shit and f all over the monstrous bug. The juice on his arm, too, which had dribbled all the way down into his armpit, 
was also like the nectar of the gods for the flies. More and more of them flew in and out of his armpit. He could tell more were staying within its moist confines, too. The pinching and itching and tickling sensations were occasionally more torturous than the nastily swollen centipede bites. Ants, too, noticed of the centipede corpse. This time, the little black ones weren't the only variant. The red monsters with the hideous jaws had arrived. Grandpa lucked out, though. They were more interested in killing the smaller ants than bothering him. He did say one of them bit the corner of his left eye, but the pain was much less than what the pussies at camp were always bitching about. It was here my cousin told him that he missed his calling as a gender studies professor, to which grandpa simply replied by slapping him on the side of the head and saying, I don't appreciate jokes about that field of study. What a complex man. Anyway, back in hell, it had started to rain. This was a mixed blessing for grandpa. The majority of bugs scurried away to find higher ground, but he was fairly certain the hole was going to fill with water and he'd drown. Well, it didn't and he didn't. He even got a chance to drink some rainwater. He'd been without any real food or water for well over 24 hours at that point, so he was grateful to swallow the few tablespoons worth he managed to get. There was a scary moment when the dirt below his hips shifted downward and he thought he was going to fall and get buried. Again, he lucked out. The shift was minor. He'd been pinned in that strange, elongated U-shape for a while and having a tiny bit of the pressure relieved around his groin was definitely A+. He was able to wiggle his hips and butt a little and figured there was maybe an inch or two of clearance in that area, but nothing that allowed him to get any hope of crawling out. He drifted to sleep at dusk and was woken up before dawn by severe pain in his armpit. He'd known all along that flies were busy damaging his skin and probably eating it. He was resigned to that fact. As long as it wasn't another centipede, he wasn't going to complain. But this pain was new and it was exquisite. The bites came much more frequently and he felt a lot of them moving around. That pain, despite its severity, was dwarfed by what came next. Let me just make this known, I don't want to tell this part of the story. Just thinking about it makes me cringe. But god damn it, it's essential to his experience. And I'm sorry in advance for you having to read it. I'll try to make it quick. The shifting downward of the dirt was the result of an ant colony collapsing. A big one. All the ants came up out of the wreckage and had been hanging out on the surface of the dirt right below grandpa's hips. But as he started to settle into the new position overnight, the ants became agitated and swarmed him. And by him, I mean his crotch. Maybe the only thing that equaled the level of horror at the table as he talked about ants crawling into his penis and rectum was how hard my grandmother laughed as he told it. You've got to get really close to see the scars, she exclaimed, as tears of laughter ran down her cheeks. My brother Derek's new girlfriend turned green and left the table with Derek hurrying after her. Grandma and Grandpa shared a kiss and he continued with the story. With ants up his dick and asshole and flies building a housing project in his armpit, Grandpa suffered through the next two days in a haze of pain and fear. The lack of food and water had taken a toll on him. This, he told us, was somewhat helpful. The pain grew less acute as his consciousness waxed and waned. A tarantula wandered into the hole and Grandpa was able to bite its abdomen in half and suck out what was inside.
This, of course, attracted more flies but there was nothing he could do about it. If he didn't get some food and water in him, he'd die. His survival instinct was still intact despite the all the trauma. A couple more days went by and he blurly realized he'd been stuck for about a week. The rainfalls and insect pulp had kept him hydrated just enough to stay alive. His armpit was numb all the way down to the last rib on his right side. Flies were ignoring everything else and just going straight in and out of the pit. The adventurous ants had lost interest after a while, but every so often he felt a nasty pinch on one incredibly sensitive area or another. More time passed. Late one afternoon, he heard gunfire. He'd heard quite a bit while he was stuck, but it was always off in the distance and too far for him to get any hope that he'd be rescued. This time, though, it was very close. He was overwhelmed with a sense of hope which was tainted by the concern that he'd be found by the wrong side. But, to his astonishment, it wasn't the VC who he heard shouting after all the gunfire. Grandpa starting waving his arm with the tiny bit of movement he could muster. He heard someone yell, hey there's an arm over here, Grandpa yelled back incoherently and was soon greeted by the sight of a US soldier peering down at him. It took him and his squadmates 10 minutes to dig Grandpa out of the hole. He remembers all of them saying some variant of holy shit after they'd freed him. Someone radioed their position and after some unknown amount of time, a helicopter landed in a nearby clearing. Grandpa was loaded onto a stretcher and they lifted off. A medic who was along for the ride cut off Grandpa's shirt and promptly threw up. When the rest of the soldiers and the chopper looked at what the medic had seen, a few of them also rained puked down from the side of the aircraft. A few days after being rescued, Grandpa woke up in a hospital. Not one on the base, either, one in the US. He had no idea how he got there, once he was rescued, he passed out and slept for almost 36 straight hours. Some people thought he was in a coma until some poor medic tried to wake him up and grandpa said f off and knocked the guy out with a single shot to the chin. Now awake, the doctors told grandpa the extent of his injuries. Aside from the severe dehydration, he was absolutely riddled with infected bites. The ones on his more sensitive areas weren't much cause for alarm, despite their unpleasantness. It was the bigger bites that were much more of a concern. The one from the red and- Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That was the worst and for a while the doctors worried he'd lose the eye. His lips and nose had terrible swelling from the infected centipede bites. Even though all those bites were awful, he could have recovered in a few weeks and would have been back in the tunnel soon after. But his armpit was why he was sent home. Botflies are a type of insect which lay their eggs inside flesh. Until grandpa's experience, no one knew they even had them in Vietnam. But apparently they do. The underside of his right arm all the way down to nearly his hip was completely reshaped into horrible cavities for their larvae. The doctors wouldn't operate, saying the only way to excise them was to let them gestate, and at a certain point, suffocate them with adhesive tape so they'd crawl to the surface. It took another few weeks, but that's what happened. Grandpa regaled us with the story of how he personally gave birth to 313 botfly larvae. Then he lifted up his shirt to show us the pockmarked skin. No one said much after that. He was done with the story and after shoveling a slice of fruit cake into his mouth, he and grandma left. They laughed all the way to the door. I don't really know what else to say. So yeah, that's grandpa. Happy New Year. This happened about eight years ago. To this day I keep wondering what happened to come across my sister, it was winter time here in the suburbs of Northern Virginia. I live with my family in a neighborhood not far from Washington DC, Dale City, so it's not to say we're in the middle of nowhere. Although, our home is very close to a few decently large wooded parks. One night I was at my then girlfriend's place up near the city, I got a phone call from my sister around 7 p.m which in winter time makes it pretty much nighttime here. I didn't think anything of it, usually, she calls me for random things she needs my insight on. A bit about my sister, ever since she was little she loved horror movies, growing up with her I can tell you firsthand that she isn't easily scared, she loves the paranormal. Alright, so back to the call. I picked up the phone and the first thing I realized was her voice breaking up, she was sobbing and could barely talk clearly. Instantly my mind started rushing with horrible thoughts about what could have happened, she kept telling me to come home, as soon as possible. I asked her why? Is everything okay? She wouldn't say, she just kept asking me to come home. Obviously, I got in my car and rushed home. The neighborhood is very dim, there aren't many lights, only a few solar-powered garden lamps from surrounding homes. As soon as I got home I ran inside, and asked her again what happened? And she finally started explaining. About half an hour before she called me, she went outside to grab a few things from her car, again, it was dark out but when the car was unlocked the headlights turned on. When she opened the door to the car, the light was shining from the driveway to the roof of the garage, she noticed it first from inside the car. A short, bipedal, human-looking thing, standing on two jet-black muscular legs. At first, she said she thought it was a raccoon but this would have been obvious to her. 
but this thing scared her to the point of crying while she was in the car. Her view was obstructed by the rest of the creature, which was crouching, and from what she described, it was scratching at something on the roof. Trying to get in? Maybe, but she wasn't going to stick around to find out. She got out of the car pretending to not have spotted it. This thing, it acted in a seemingly intelligent way. She thought, maybe if I act as if I didn't see it, it will just stay up there and not try to attack or anything but as she walked behind the car, she heard it stand upright. Startled, she looked directly at it, the whole description she told me was as follows. Jet black, smooth dolphin skin like legs and arms. Five digit hands and no claws. Dreadful looking, very dirty fur or hair. Covering its head or body. The face is what was disturbing. The face had two shining yellow eyes that glowed from the car's headlights, no nose, just two slits and a very wide mouth with no lips. She took off when she made eye contact. As soon as she was indoors she called 911 and an officer was dispatched to our house. He looked around back and tried to see if there was any damage or sign of someone climbing the roof, no footprints, no damage. It was all in place. The officer just told us to lock the doors and windows and left. It's not like my sister to be terrified to the point of calling the police. Whatever this thing was though, I can only imagine what it was actually like to witness something like it in real life. To this day, both I and her get extremely uneasy arriving home after dark. I'm a pretty avid runner. I've been quitting a lot of bad habits, and exercise just as the trick for me. I have a greenway behind my house that I can run or bike on. It's very beautiful, and during the day, plenty of people are there. Well, about a week ago, I ran through the greenway to stop by a friend's house and grab something. By the time I got back onto the greenway, the sun was already starting to set, and the path was getting dark. As I was walking back through the path, I had my flashlight on and kept looking around me, I felt paranoid being alone in the dark. As I was walking, I distinctly remember hearing my grandma's voice call my name from the tree line. It sounded so real and normal that I turned around instantly, only to immediately go cold, realizing that my grandma is deceased. This freaked me out, but I tried my best to somewhat convince myself that I was just hallucinating because I was paranoid. Only about a minute later, I turned around behind me with my flashlight out of fear. That's when I saw it. It looked like a gray blob, pretty much like a human sprinting at me full speed in the pitch black. I screamed like a little scared child, and I don't think I've ever run so fast in my life. When I got home, I tried to laugh it off as me seeing things and being overly anxious. But about a week later, I can't stop thinking about it. It sounded so real, I heard her voice clear as day. And the person chasing me looked so real. I've heard all those stories about skinwalkers, and while I doubt their existence, my experience was so similar to that of skinwalker encounters that I'm seriously questioning myself. What do you guys think? Is it possible that my brain was just hallucinating out of fear and anxiety? In the early 1980s, I lived in a small town near the southwest part of the Chattahoochee National Forest in Georgia. 
I was hunting on public land in the National Forest just up the road from home in an area known as Cooper's Creek. I've hunted in and around that area for years and was very familiar with the terrain. When I located a good spot that I thought would give me a good chance at a large buck I set up my lock-on tree stand about 12 feet off the ground. I was hunting with a 12-gauge shotgun since rifle hunting is not allowed in this area. So, fast forward to early November. I had been hunting in my tree stand several times. This particular hunt was during the late afternoon around 4.15 pm. I wanted to get there earlier but I was held up at work. This was a Friday afternoon and my wife knew that I would not be home until 8.30 pm and even later if I had bagged a deer. I parked my truck at the trailhead and started hiking into the woods to my tree stand. The walk would take about 20 minutes. I moved slowly through the woods since I didn't want to spook any of the wildlife. As I was walking I noticed how quiet it was. Eerily quiet. I finally arrived, climbed up, and settled in. I began to survey my surroundings. I began to have a disconcerting feeling like somebody was watching me. I just felt like something was out of place. After a while, I kept looking at my watch wondering how much time I had left until dusk. I thought that I should leave early because of how I was feeling. Then, I caught movement to my right side. I slowly turned my head and began looking through the tree canopy. That's when I saw IT. I honestly don't know what IT was. I was staring into the trees and I saw what looked like a large human body, but it was completely blurred. It was moving through the trees. I could clearly see the outline of the figure but the rest was all blurry. I couldn't focus on it. It resembled an out-of-focus blob of gelatin that was in the shape of a human. Whenever it would stop moving I completely lost sight of it as it blended into its surroundings. I continued to watch it stop and then start moving. I do so for about 15 minutes. By that time, I was starting to become scared as I was thinking about my walk back to the truck. So I waited for another 15 minutes or so. It was getting dark by then so I slowly climbed out of my stand. Once I hit the solid ground I wasted no time. I sprinted all the way back to my truck. I quickly jumped into the cab. I just sat there in my truck and tried to regain my breath. I drove home and said nothing to my wife or anybody else for several weeks. During that time I tried to convince myself that I had imagined the whole thing. I eventually told my wife one night. She listened and said that it was probably my imagination. I later told my brother who said something similar to my wife. I never told anyone else. I never hunted in those woods again. I didn't even go back for the tree stand. I took a break from hunting for about 5 years. I then started up again but never in that area. I still wonder what I saw that day. I have no rational explanation. Years later, I think in 1988, the movie Predator was released. When I saw the cloaked alien on the screen, I immediately tensed up in fear. That is what I saw. I was shocked. Did I encounter an alien? I still wonder what it was that I saw that day. I no longer hunt or spend much time in the woods. I saw a thing in, or near, the woods on three separate occasions now. Each time I saw the thing, it was in a different state along the east coast of America, 
and each time the sighting was fleeting. I'm in my 30s now, and the sightings have several years between them. The first time I saw it was in high school, and this is most definitely the time I got the longest look at it. The second time I only caught a glimpse, and I'm pretty sure, but not entirely sure, it was the same thing. The third time I got a clear look at it from a distance, but it caught me so off guard that I stumbled as I was taking a step and I lost sight of it. I have been calling it a thing because I have no idea what it is and quite honestly I don't even have a good guess either. It was not a Sasquatch, a Wildman, a Rake, a Lizard person, or any other creature I have found through my incredibly frustrating recent internet research on the subject matter. Maybe a shapeshifter of some kind because the first time I saw it, the thing changed its form for sure. Yes, I said it changed its form, you can go ahead and leave now if you like. If you are someone like me who will rely on science for validation, you try to keep an open mind, but you also tend to explain away people's paranormal encounters for any number of different reasons. Also, I would have expected that if I ever did end up seeing something otherworldly, it might be something that someone else had seen before, right? This post is the first time I have put any of this out there to anyone, and if it weren't for this last encounter, I would have forgotten the first two again. I have never mentioned this to anyone because of how ridiculous it sounds, the fact that I have no proof. I'm pretty much exactly the person you would think might make something like this up. At this point, though I only want to get this off my chest to hopefully find out if anyone else has ever seen this thing. Before I begin telling you what happened, I would like to make it clear that I swear what you read here is the truth about what I saw as best as I can remember. If you don't believe it fine, whatever, I get that, this is the reason I am posting what happened here, and it is the reason that I have never, and will never, told anyone I might have to see in my daily life. I'm sure they would think I'm crazy or just desperate for attention because what I saw is downright absurd. Well, now that I have thoroughly destroyed any credibility I may have once had, I will tell you what I saw as best as I can. I have been thinking about exactly how I might explain this to someone for a while now so, I will do my best to keep out of a narrative tone. Well, now that I have thoroughly destroyed any credibility I may have once had, I will attempt to explain the details about what I saw as bluntly as possible with as vivid of a recollection as I have of the events. 1. First Sighting, Southern New Hampshire, 2000 or 2001 summer probably, I don't remember exactly when, well after midnight. I am going to take some time to explain this first encounter in as much detail as I can recall even though it all happened so fast, literally lasting in total maybe 10 seconds, it is still the longest amount of time I have spent truly looking at the thing. I was walking to a friend's house from the apartment complex I lived in late at night. To get from one place to the other quickly, you had to cut through a small patch of forest, roughly 100 yards, that was technically someone else's property. A couple of times before we had someone shine a light on us and once he fired a shot in the air to try and scare us in an attempt to get us to stop cutting through, but it never did stop us. It did, however, teach me to be stealthier when cutting through, and so on this night. I was creeping very quietly through the trees as I went. The forest was in a valley between my apartment complex, some houses, and the neighborhood where my friend lived. 
The valley dipped down in the middle with a steep incline surrounding it and so at first, I had to go down into the valley, and then at the end, I would walk up out of the valley exiting the tree line right onto the street where his house is. Once exiting the tree line, one would be standing on the side of the street with the end of the road about half a mile to your right and the entrance to the neighborhood about the same distance on the left. The houses were spaced apart decently, so the night was very dark except for the area around the houses and a couple of light circles under the orange streetlights, of which there were very few for the amount of space. I got through the valley with no problem this time, and I got up some speed to go up the hill in front of me where the forest ended maybe 5 feet from the edge of the street if the event was that far. At the exact moment, I came out of the tree line and onto the edge of the road, something caught my eye to the left of me emerging from the woods across the street. It stumbled awkwardly out of the dark woods and into view right at the edge of the circle of orange light radiating down from one of the streetlights. At first and for just a brief moment it looked like a shadow. However, I heard a sound coming from the dead leaves beneath its feet, and I quickly realized that it was not a shadow. Its body shape was like that of a starving child, maybe three feet tall, that you might see in a third world country, but its legs and arms were so thin that there appeared to be no way it could support the creature's body weight. It was dark but from what I can remember at the ends of its frail looking limbs were just nubs. No hands and no feet that I saw. Its movements were the creepiest part honestly, and they were the first thing that threw me off. I can't even really explain how absurd and unnatural its movements were or how it was standing on those tiny legs. It moved forward from the trees and toward the street extremely awkwardly with the couple of steps that I saw it take. It was almost as if it was not supposed to be walking around like that, but it had somehow figured out a way to do so regardless. The thing was roughly two or three feet tall with an enlarged light bulb shaped head and a little belly despite how thin the rest of its frame was. In addition to its shape and motion, the thing seemed unreal mostly because it didn't seem to reflect any light at all when it stepped into the light of the street lamp. It appeared to have no three-dimensional form at all with its body almost blending right into its shadow, and I could only really tell it had solid form by the way that it moved and navigated the environment around it. I froze in place instantly when I saw it with my brain unable to even process what I was seeing. In a couple of steps, it exited the trees, stumbled across the patch of grass to the street, and then sort of fumbled down forward toward a sewer drain on the side of the road. I'm not sure what I did if anything, but as soon as it hit the curb, it rose back up and looked over at me. I couldn't see its face or anything at all still just this bizarre black shape moving so unbelievably awkwardly. I really can't stress this enough, its movements were ridiculously uncoordinated. What happened next is what sent me fleeing into the woods with all of the cowardice that has kept me alive to this day. Upon seeing me, this malformed shadow child thing did this quick twisted turn toward me, dropping down to all fours and becoming a much more animal-like shape when it did. I again have no idea how to describe the motion as it was so unnatural, but when its turn was complete, the thing had become something I can only describe as a shadow dog or cat or bear. I know that sounds crazy but, I can't describe it any other way than that. It stood on all fours like a predatory animal, but I couldn't make out any definition on it with the way it didn't catch the light that it was standing directly below. 
This thing didn't just go from being human-like to being a human on all fours, I mean it genuinely became something else as far as I can tell. I debated leaving this next part out because it just slices into the credibility of the events even further, but it happened, and so here it goes. As soon as the creature had hit all fours and was no longer humanoid its eyes flashed yellow at me, and it let out a loud shriek, not a growl, not a bark, not a snarl, not an animal-like roar, or even a hissing but a legitimate shriek that sounded like neither a person nor an animal. The sound started quietly then rose quickly, almost as if it was winding up or under pressure and had just painfully been forced out of the creature's mouth in great anguish. Its scream had a certain harshness to it as if it might have had something seriously wrong with its vocal cords or it had just smoked a million cigarettes consecutively. I remember the thing had a weird, almost scared vulnerability to the sound it made, which contrasted the harshness and tone as well as the defensive stance the creature took. All this took place in just a few seconds, maybe ten at most, from the time the thing exited the tree line to the time it turned, postured, shrieked at me, and sent me running without a single thought in my head right back into the woods. I did not stop, I did not look back, I did not try to be quiet through the forest, I just ran as fast as I could. That is correct. I was so scared I ran back into the dark, scary woods to get away, only realizing how dumb that was some time afterward. The sound it made chilled me to my core then, but now in hindsight, I think the flashing eyes bother me more than the sound because it seems so expected. The flashing or glowing eyes trope is precisely what I have heard in so many other people's stories I never believed about mysterious creatures they claim to have encountered. I mean because that is what scary things in the night do right? They flash yellow eyes and make a scary shrieking sound at you, obviously, what else would they do? I never made it to my friend's house that night and I never mentioned this to anyone ever since. I managed to forget about this experience pretty quickly though. I'm not sure how my life was high drama at the time, so I'm sure it is because I did something stupid and that took over my world. 2. Second Sighting, Central Florida, 2006 Spring, I believe, early night, 8 PM. The second sighting is much briefer and as I mentioned before I am 90% sure it was the same thing but, I'm not entirely sure. I'll keep this short and tell you simply that I was out camping, went for a walk along a trail, and watched my girlfriend hop from rock to rock across the river. I heard a sound to my left, and when I turned to look, I saw an extremely thin skinny black nubbed leg, possibly a tail, disappear behind a tree as if an animal running away from something. I ran over this time but, I found nothing and I didn't mention it to my girlfriend. No experiences or weird sounds that night and no more encounters for several years. If you like more detail about this one you can attempt to email me with any questions and I will try to remember. 3. Third Sighting, Eastern Shore of Virginia, June 8, 2019, Late Night, 11 PM. Well finally here it is the reason I felt I had to put this out there and the reason I am so freaked out by this thing. It's not so much what happened last week as it was another quick glimpse and nothing else, but instead, it is the fact that it happened again to me and as far as I know, no one else. Last week I was at a party at a friend's house celebrating her birthday because she is one of those people in their 30s that still gets excited about those things. I don't drink, 
So I was not drunk but, in the interest of total transparency, I have been known to partake in the occasional medicinal herbal supplement for recreational purposes. You can take that information however you like. My friend lives with her husband in a farmhouse surrounded by open fields for a couple of acres in any direction surrounded of course by a thick forest. I had been there for a while, and the thing was the furthest thing from my mind. We were all just hanging out and rambling on about the usual inane bullsh tea. I decided that I wanted a smoke and so I went out the front door and onto the porch. I stepped forward and went to step down the front steps to get a little more space, and as I did, I glanced up and out into the field in front of the house. There it was, roughly 50 yards out and bumbling through the field toward the trees. For a split second, I could see the unmistakable shape of this weird shadow child thing. It was just the same as before. Large head and belly, unbelievably thin arms and legs, and again reflecting absolutely no light at all. I was mid-step when I glanced up and lost track of where I was stepping, causing me to fall forward. I managed to catch myself as I fell barely and I must have made a sound when I did it because when I looked back up the thing was on all fours quickly running like a dog off into the woods. I reiterate this thing did not move on all fours like a person in any way but, it moved like an animal with knees bent backward. I was too far away, and it happened too fast for me to tell if it had hands and feet this time. I started to walk out and look around a bit when someone came outside and not wanting to tell anyone I just went back to the party. I must have been distant the rest of the night because I couldn't get it out of my head this time. I ended up leaving the party relatively early and went home to start obsessing about it, as I have been, for about a week now. So I am sufficiently freaked out by a lot of things about what I have seen. Even discounting the second sighting, I got two brief but good looks at something that I cannot explain. One of the things that bothers me the most about this is, why me? Why, as far as I know, have I been the only one to see this thing? If it knows of me and is following me or something like that then, why does it seem surprised by my presence each time I've seen it and then enter a sort of fight or flight mentality? If it doesn't know of me, then why am I the only one to see this thing and now in three different states years apart? I have so many questions. I'm writing this over a few days to make sure I have got all the details as best as I can remember and I hope I'm not the only one that saw this creepy thing. What I saw that night was so unnatural I never expected to see anything like it in my life, it honestly just did not belong in our physical reality, and it almost did not even seem to fit in the environment around it as if it was something 2D superimposed into an authentic 3D background. I looked into shadow people videos and sightings but, I don't think this was that as there was nothing ghostly about what I saw, it was there and had solid form. It was so out of place but at the same time I saw it there and heard it as well, I don't know what else to say about it. Each time, except the second, I could see enough of it that I could tell it was not somebody messing with me, and I could see enough of it to say it did not belong here in this world with us. My best guess at this point is that it and I crossed each other's paths in a possible interdimensional rift or time slip only because of how surreal the experience was. I know that sounds crazy, but it is all I have come up with to rationalize the fact that this thing did not fit into its surroundings in any way. It did not even look like it was made to move and get around in this world, 
The force of gravity should have for sure crushed its skinny legs under the weight of its body, it was like an eggplant on toothpicks. That is all that it is for me to tell, but I sincerely hope someone else saw something like this, so I know I am not starting to lose it. At this point, I only want to know that I am not alone and that what I saw has some explanation, rational or not, I don't even care please, just give me something to go on. I need one reasonable answer from somewhere at this point because I know what I saw, and I can't get the way this thing moved or how dark it was out of my head. During my spring break of 1977 my family and three other families from the neighborhood I grew up in traveled to a holiday inn in Navarre Beach. My mother had told me it was a newly opened hotel. It had an indoor pool, arcade, gift shop, deli, and small movie theater. For its day it was considered to be a very nice place and my family went to this hotel three times. During our second visit in August of 1977 the film Jaws 2 was being filmed at Navarre and I even got to see the mechanical Jaws stored with other movie equipment and props in the eastern portion of the hotel parking lot. During this spring break vacation around late March of 1977, there was a special showing of the film Bugsy Malone which only children were permitted to attend. It was during the film that I started to feel a bit disoriented. I heard some other children crying and I heard the sound of someone throwing up. At one point in the film, I got up from my chair to leave, but I was quickly escorted back to my chair by an usher in a black suit and black hat. I saw one or maybe two more men in black suits at the back of the theater. After the film was over I felt just fine and I never did complain to anyone about that experience. One evening on this vacation I awoke and sat up in my bed. I looked across the room and could see a group of small figures in the dimly lit room. My brother was asleep to my right and my parents were asleep in the bed to my left. The feeling I felt was something I had felt before which I immediately recognized. It was a feeling I only felt when the greys were near. I thought, it's been a while. And to a young boy about to turn seven, it had been over two years since his last encounter with the greys. So it had felt like a long time. But then I could not move and one of the figures moved towards me very fast and the last thing I recalled was its big black eyes very close to my face and a wand-like object being pointed at me. Then there was blackness. The next thing I recall was being in the sand dunes away from the hotel in a circle of children. I must have been one of the youngest because I was the shortest but my attention was more on the blue object directly over us that had a glowing blue light all about it. The closest thing I've seen to this shade of blue would be that of the blue glow of cheering cough radiation that I've only seen in photos. Then there was blackness. The next morning was a Saturday, and I was watching cartoons. It was not till I was watching TV that I recalled that night's experience with the greys and seeing the blue glowing sphere above me and the other children. I then told one of the other children who were traveling with us on this trip about my experience that night and she did not believe me. I also recall walking around the hotel later that day and then getting up the nerve to tell my older brother who also teased me.